Welcome to PTBC Podcast, where we will be speaking about innovation, technology, growing your business, and maximizing your entrepreneurial potential. Let's get down to business. Hello, everyone, and uh, welcome to the PTBC Podcast. This is Slava, and today I'm joined by Sarush. Hey, everyone. And today we have uh, lovely Maggie Bergeron with us. She's the co-founder of Embodia, which is an online education platform for physiotherapy courses. And it also makes it easy for practitioners to assign exercises to their patients and to follow up on the completion of those exercises. Maggie is also the host of uh, HealthTO, which is all about innovation and technology and health. And um, to see what these two organizations uh, bring to the table, you can find them at... Uh, www.embodiaapp.com and uh, www.techtoronto.org forward slash LTO forward slash. All right, it's time to get down to business. How are you doing today, Maggie? I'm good, thank you. Thanks for having me. It's a, it's a pleasure. Uh, so Maggie, it's uh, really amazing what you've done with Embodia. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about how your journey in physiotherapy brought you to this idea and to this place right now? Sure. <laughs> I didn't think I was going into technology. That's what the hesitation was for. Mm-hmm. It was never a plan to start uh, a tech company. I thought I would maybe open a clinic. Mm-hmm. Um, and initially, when I graduated from physio almost 10 years ago, I was interested in international development and global health. Mm-hmm. I had traveled to Tanzania. I'd worked in Thunder Bay. And because of student loans and it's difficult Mm -hmm. to find a job in global health, Mm -hmm. I started in private practice. Worked in private practice and eventually opened my own uh, small uh, practice and wanted to build something for my patients. At about the same time, I was dragon boating and met a chemical engineer who was bored with his job and had decided to teach him health teach himself how to uh, code Mm -hmm. on his lunch breaks and on the train. (laughs) And he was at the point of wanting to build his own product. So we decided to collaborate. He probably heard enough of me complaining about the physio world and all the the problems that I was seeing. So he suggested that we try building something for my patients, Mm -hmm. which at the time was called health swap, which is impossible to pronounce (laughs) and very difficult for people to find um, just because of the way it was spelled. So we started that and it was really just a way for me to share exercises and education with my patients on an app that they could then track what they were doing and I could update it um, between their appointments if I needed to, but really just to have some accountability in between their physio sessions with the ultimate goal of helping them get better faster. Mm -hmm. I was pretty much only seeing people with chronic pain, which is a very specialized area and requires Um, a lot of education, and a lot of collaboration between the practitioner and the patient. Although I think all rehab should have that collaborative component, but this area in particular, you really need the patient to understand their role and how much they can do for themselves. So HealthSwap was initially my way of trying to help my patients, and it's evolved and grown since then, and I've learned about marketing and branding, obviously, and we've changed our... uh, company name from HealthSwap to Embodia. Um, You've mentioned some of the problems with the the physiotherapy space. Could you highlight some of those just to get an idea why 
you didn't choose to start your own clinic, but just decided to go the technology route? I think in every industry, not just physiotherapy, we become very closed in or boxed in by the industry and we only see what's in front of us. And it's difficult to see outside of that. And it's just a nature of being embedded in this one area. We talk to physiotherapists, we work with physiotherapists, we work with the healthcare system, and we kind of have blinders on. And this creates a lot of problems, particularly now because consumers or patients want more from us. Uh, the industry is changing. Technology is definitely going to change uh, physiotherapy within the next year, even quite significantly. Um, and I think the second problem is that physiotherapists don't want to change. We're mm -hmm. resistant to change. And again, not just physiotherapists, but all healthcare. This is a common topic. This is a very common topic at HealthTO. We just had an event last night and one of the founders was talking about how it's more difficult to create change in healthcare than it was for him to raise his twins. <laughs> but it's just a lot of resistance and it, we can't force change. People have to want to change just like our patients. They have to want to change. Um, but this is inhibiting our progress, not helping us if we're, if we're not even being open-minded to different ways of doing things or how technology or not even necessarily technology, but different ways of doing things within our own industry. Mm -hmm. For sure. So you mentioned that in the next year, technology is going to be advancing a lot more in our field. How are some ways that you are thinking that this is going to change our practice so I think there's the things that we already see that are happening. The huge shift from paper charts to EMR is just going to continue. Um, online platforms, more podcasts, more ideas like, like what you guys are doing. But then even beyond that, um, AI is going to have a huge role to play. And I'll give an example. Last night at HealthTO, one of the founders was presenting and doing a demo of his product, which is kind of like an EMR, except it uses artificial intelligence to pull out the patient data so that then they can analyze it, show it to, to doctors and nurses on an easy to read screen. So you don't have to like try to decipher mm -hmm. handwriting anymore. <laughs> but then it also predicts who is at risk for post-op complications, overdose, and all sorts of other issues that can actually be prevented um, before they happen, which is really quite amazing. But this means that also our roles might change, right? Because we rely right now on doctors to do that. Um, and if there's technology that's doing this instead, it means that people's roles are going to change. But I think for the better, it doesn't mean that we're not going to have a job. It just means we get to uh, maybe have a more useful job and let technology do the behind the scenes work um, that technology can actually do better than what we can do. In terms of physiotherapy, I think there's going to be a lot more demand from consumers. There's a lot more competition in the market. We have to compete with um, osteopaths, massage therapists, chiropractors, acupuncturists. I think that's just going to continue to grow and what a consumer wants uh, is going to be the primary driving uh, force behind it. So I think the technology is already there and there's a lot of really interesting ways that we can incorporate it into our practice. But I think what's going to, or I hope what's going to change is that we actually start to use it in our practices and show more 
value to consumers and to patients so that they want to go to physiotherapy. Um, so that's also what I was going to actually comment on. The fact that some of the new technology that we have, we, there's been studies, for example, on virtual reality and mirror therapy combination, and they found um, it has been effective for, for example, pain reduction um, in certain individuals. Um, but again, these technologies are fairly expensive right now, and not every clinic is able to afford that and bring that into their practice. So how are you seeing physios incorporate uh, new technology into their practice with this cost issue? I'm going to say something that might make some people uncomfortable. <laughs> but what I've observed over three years, and I've talked to other health startups and companies, is that practitioners and generally the healthcare system is cheap. We don't like to pay for things. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this has to change as well. And I understand there is some technology that's like, thousands of dollars and just totally out of budget. I'm not saying like blow your whole budget on technology, but paying for things that are of value that fit within the clinic uh, is just going to have to happen. Right now, even like with my experience with exercise prescription, the amount of emails that I've had from therapists saying, well, I use this program and it's free. Why aren't you free? It's a question of value. You're going to you pay for or you get what you pay for. And even the questions around a monthly subscription of $15 a month being expensive is, I think, <laughs> a little bit ridiculous. But it's partly because we're just not used to paying for something. Even when EMRs started to come out, therapists were saying, you know, like, whoa, $80 a month per therapist. It's a lot of money. But again, you get what you pay for. And we can improve the patient experience and patient engagement and then potentially increase revenue if we just incorporate and pay for some things that are of value in our mm -hmm. practice. I think the like larger technologies like the VR, um, for example, those are going to be expensive. It was just like smartphones at first, right? They're yeah. so expensive and the price comes down over time as there's more competitors, as the technology improves. So that will happen as well with healthcare. And then I think that um, creating Referral sources is also really important. We're generally, especially in private practice, we're segmented. Right? Like, who do I refer to if somebody comes into my practice and has a has had a stroke and I think they would benefit from something like mirror therapy? There's probably some clinic or somewhere that I could refer to. So not having to do everything uh, ourselves, but rather having friendly referrals that we can pass patients along based on what they need. Yeah, it seems like it's a matter of uh, having the big thing approach into the long term and what's going to get us there faster and more efficiently versus the small thinking where we just focus on expenses and what it's going to cost us to get there instead of the benefits that it provides or weighing the benefit to cost ratio. Sounds like an investment, right? right? Instead yeah. of, rather than thinking like it's a cost. Yeah, yeah for sure. Yeah. So I just wanted to shift the focus more on on Embodia um, in regards to... Um, technology, what do you think has been your biggest challenge at Embodia, just starting it up and developing it as you have over the past three years? My co-founder always shakes my his head when I say this, but building the, the technology, and I'm not the coder, so I know that's the easy part, mm -hmm. building it well, which he's done, but building it well, that makes it easy for people to use it, mm -hmm. 
is really key and then getting the right marketing message and the right channels. So I think the hardest part is the, the sales uh, part, which really comes down to your marketing message and making sure that the, the product is in a place where it's really easy for people to use it. Um, but ultimately you could have the best product in the world. And if nobody knows about it, then there's no use to it. Um, so I guess that's a perfect segue into the marketing. So you mentioned the marketing message. Um, can you tell us a little bit more about the marketing message that you guys have developed at Embodia, how you went uh, and how you marketed Embodia and maybe some tips for the listeners out there? Uh, sure. So it was definitely a process. It didn't happen overnight. Um, what really moved us forwards was when I hired somebody in marketing who is professionally trained in marketing and uh, also UX and UI, which is user experience and user interface, which is really important for anybody who's going to build a piece of technology. Um, and she really just took what we were already doing, but cleaned it up and put a really nice spin on it. And she was able to translate what I was going around in circles with into a nice clean brand and and message. Um, but that wasn't possible for us at first and for a lot of young companies, it's not possible always to hire uh, right out of the gate. Um, so some of the things that I did initially were just some simple marketing exercises, figuring out like, values and mission statement, um, running it by users. So we A-B tested messages for a little while on our website and on social media to see what kind of response we got. Um, and that was definitely helpful talking to colleagues about it and just uh, even doing presentations and seeing which presentations were a total flop and which ones really worked. Mm -hmm. What was interesting about that was that we now have a message for different audiences. So if I'm presenting to physiotherapists, it's very different than I did a presentation uh, last week to uh, some government officials and uh, folks who work at the university who don't know anything about physiotherapy or what we do. So different messages for different groups was particularly helpful as well. Did that answer your question? Yeah. Okay. So what are some tips you would give to someone who's starting their own company or technology company or even practice, maybe some uh, wisdom regarding marketing? <laughs> wisdom regarding marketing. I think the first thing is to look at what else is out there. So um, what else already exists, which we did do with at first other exercise prescription companies and now other um, online continuing education platforms. Look at what they are doing, but don't look too long because you can get a bit caught up in what they're doing. It's just good mm -hmm. to have a, a sense um, of what else is out there. Figuring out uh, exactly what your vision is, where do you want to take this, who is this for, um, and then I would even suggest going with something like 99designs. So again, physios, some physios are actually extremely talented in marketing, I've run into a few, so, but if it's not your area, then I would still go and pay somebody a bit of money to at least bounce ideas off of, um, because they have such a different view than us, and they, physios, generally have a, a line of thought that's 
um, that's good, but not always quite the right marketing message versus somebody who's trained in marketing just brings a different lens to it. And there's cheap ways of doing that as well. You don't have to hire a person on full time, but things like 99designs can be helpful. Um, and a few other websites where you can just go put in your information and they'll kind of bid on your idea to help you mm -hmm. with your marketing message or logo or brand guidelines. Interesting. Sure. You uh, mentioned different kind of uh, personas for marketing and we were actually thinking about those questions as well. Mm -hmm. Who is the actual person that we're targeting to or the group of people to create the marketing message out there? Could you elaborate on that process a little bit more uh, or maybe give an example of a particular persona? Yeah, so the personas are very important and most companies will have multiple mm -hmm. personas that they're either selling to or speaking to. Um, so we have personas that are um, that we're selling to and then mm -hmm. I have personas that I'm presenting to but not selling to necessarily directly. The personas that I sell to are healthcare practitioners, but then there are um, solo practitioners, clinics, and networked clinics or organizations and hospitals. Mm -hmm. And each one of them has kind of different characteristics. So the process that we go through is listing out their char characteristics and thinking of one particular person, just mm -hmm. like in physio when we have to do like case studies of one particular person, yeah. but they generally represent the group that you're going to treat or sell to in this case. Mm -hmm. um, so like the clinic owner might have a pelvic health clinic and she might be 33 years old with two kids and trying to go into real detail, like really mm -hmm. getting down to what her problems are, what makes her really excited, why did she start this practice, those kinds of things and going mm -hmm. through that exercise um, versus we have personas that I present to like I mentioned, which might include um, organizations or like the decision makers within organizations, insurance companies who might ultimately still buy from us, but not in the same way that practitioners are going to buy from us. And they have very different personas. Mm -hmm. um, that's a great answer. And <laughs> you really went into detail, like really picturing must be a really fun process to go through <laughs> as you're imagining them. <laughs> um, we also know that you're currently a part of uh, this organization called DMZ at the Ryerson. And um, could you tell us more about how they've helped your company grow and what were the real benefits or challenges associated with them? Yeah, absolutely. So we've been at the DMZ, which is Digital Media Zone, not Demilitarized Zone. <laughs> and it's a business incubator for tech companies in Toronto. They have at any one time about 70 startups in their space that they are supporting. Um, it's like a mini Silicon Valley there. It is like a mini Silicon Valley. <laughs> they even have a floor in there called the Silicon called the valley yeah. it's just a nice name for the basement <laughs> um, and they they house these companies um, to help them grow so they're really in the startup stage there's different stages of companies and these companies are in the, the startup stage when you get to the stage of scale up as you're growing hiring usually steady revenue then you graduate from the space mm -hmm. and we've now actually graduated from the space. Yes. Uh, Congratulations. You're doing too well. <laughs> 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 a ceremony at the end. 
Uh, yeah, they have a party, but I couldn't go. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> and now the diploma goes to yeah. What's great about um, the DMZ in particular as an incubator is they have staff that are there to both build the DMZ as a brand and, and what they're doing, but also to support the entrepreneurs. And then they have um, resources, which include accounting services, legal services, marketing, sales, um, all the areas in a business that as a startup, you may not be able to afford uh, and they fill the gaps. So uh, you can book a time with a lawyer, no cost. Uh, you can book a time with the accountant, no cost. And you're going in, it's kind of like a consulting service, essentially. Mm-hmm. And then they also have something called EIRs, which are entrepreneurs in residence. And these are successful entrepreneurs in their own right. In And they have expertise usually in one or maybe two areas. And you can, again, go in and consult with them about particular areas of your business or ask them questions. And they'll sit down and look at what you're doing with you. Um, and then the other advantage is just Entrepreneurship can be lonely. Being in a space with lots of other people who are doing something similar or who have already gone through what you're going through or um, are maybe ahead of you is really uh, creates a supportive environment. Um, just like going through physio school by yourself might be kind of lonely. <laughs> uh, starting a company or a tech startup felt kind of like going back to school. And then this was kind of the community that was uh, supportive you could ask questions to they they get what what you're going through or the the difficulties and uh, usually have good connections too within the community that can help you out small business incubator yes exactly (laughs) that's awesome um so uh again we just want to talk a little bit more about the technology and where you see our field in five years I know it's a bit of a timeline. I know we talked about a year, but five years down, like you did talk about AI a little bit. Do you think that would have an impact on our uh, practice in five years? Yeah, I think AI is going to be um, impactful in our practice. I think there's over the next five years, there's going to be a lot of learnings and it's just in its infancy really right now. Mm-hmm. So I don't know how quickly it's really going to come to physiotherapy because the trend in healthcare is doctors and nurses first, everybody else afterwards. Mm-hmm. So all the AI that's being developed right now is really medical focused. Right. Uh, and then maybe in five years, we'll be getting to a point where there's going to be some in, in physiotherapy. Um, but honestly, I can't see physios incorporating AI yeah. into their practice when we still have difficulty like grasping the idea of an EMR. So <laughs> not all of us. Thankfully, we're reaching critical mass where we can see the benefit. Um, but I guess it comes back to that. You know, we can't force people to change. They really need to see the benefit and the reason for changing. And in healthcare, practitioners like patients, we like to feel safe. Mm-hmm. We like to know that it's um, tested and it's safe and secure. It's going to work. It's not going to crash on us or whatever people think technology is going to do. Mm-hmm. Um, so generally, healthcare is late adopters. Yeah, doctors and nurses are usually on the earlier side. Um, and have you guys seen that chart? The yeah. like innovators, Alan, early yeah. adopters. Yeah, yeah. Alan Alan McDonald. Yeah. He he was teaching us. I think uh, it was on the disruption innovation yeah. uh, lecture. Yeah, he was telling us like we're usually the late adopters on this side of the curve, mm-hmm. whereas some other professions are kind of a little bit riskier. 
quotes. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, so they're on earlier, I mean, on the beginning part of that curve, but yeah. Yeah. So I think for fi- in five years, uh, there's just going to be a lot. The, the talk isn't going to be about should we use technology? It's already moving that way. It's just how do we use it? How do we use it better? What else can I use in my practice? EMR is going to be fully integrated. Things like exercise apps or like um, measuring apps, outcome measures, those kinds of things are going to become, I think, a natural part of our practice um, rather than this kind of like clunky, unsure about how to incorporate it right now. Um, I think even like uh, companies or we're going to start forming more, more companies and hopefully become more of the innovators, the ones who are creating the change that will then be used by our profession. Um, Cause if we don't do it, somebody else is, mm-hmm. and it's going to be either uh, patients or there's a lot of business people now who see the opportunity in healthcare yep. because mm-hmm. it's just the, it's really the last industry to, to make the jump to using uh, technology fully mm-hmm. in our day-to-day practices. Um, and there's a lot of opportunity to be had. So hopefully by five years, we will be <laughs> dominating the innovation for our own profession. We got this. Yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe we can speak about something that physios might, might impact physios a little bit earlier than five years. Um, you're part of all these great companies uh, and great uh, organizations LTO, running Embodia, etc. So you have a lot of valuable insight on a lot of different topics. A new one, very popular trend right now, is uh, cannabis and healthcare. So, and I know that HealthTO recently had an event on this. Um, they talked a lot about how that's going to impact healthcare, um, how it would impact patients. What are your thoughts and on how cannabis is going to impact physiotherapy uh, once it's legalized? I think in a couple weeks or three weeks now. Wow. Um, how's that going to impact physiotherapy and healthcare? Good question. Um, so we did run that uh, special edition of HealthTO for Medical Cannabis Week. Um, and if anybody is interested, the videos um, from the speakers, is, they are all posted on the Tech Toronto YouTube channel. Um, I felt like I was a student at this event, even though everybody came up to me and they're like, oh, you must be an investor because you're hosting this event. But (laughs) actually, I probably am the one here who knows the least amount about this topic. Um, But there are so many companies that are just popping up, again, because the opportunity is there. There's huge business opportunity in cannabis, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And for physiotherapists, it's going to come down to on a day-to-day basis, patients coming in who have used cannabis of some sort, and then how do we deal with it? Do we treat that patient? Do we not treat that patient? Uh, do we talk about it? Should we talk to them about it? Is it uh, just like talking to them about their medication? What if they have questions about it? And how knowledgeable do we need to be about it? Or is it something that we can just kind of refer on to? Um, I think this is a good opportunity for us to become knowledgeable about cannabis and pain control. We treat pain all the time and I think more it's going to be both more patients coming in and actually telling us that they've used cannabis and there's probably a lot of patients who are right now and just don't say anything um, and more patients using it so dealing with those clinical situations and just like anything else being knowledgeable about it and being able to answer their questions and refer when appropriate 
I've had this conversation though about with other physios, do we treat somebody who comes in who's used a cannabis product? Yeah. I don't know what the right answer is. I think we can argue it both ways. Mm -hmm. um, and there's such a variety of products. I mean, what do they use? Is it cannabis oil on a joint? I mean, or is it like, what? there's so many different things now. I mean, it's kind of hard to kind of tease that out anyways. Like, it's, very, it's an interesting growth in, I guess, healthcare now. And what I didn't realize, <laughs> also what I learned from this event, was when they, when they prescribe this medically, it's... Um, if they prescribe it medically and it's correct, the, uh, the prescription is correct, the person will get high, even if they've smoked it or ingested it, mm -hmm. they won't get the high effect. It only happens if you, quote unquote, overdose on a mm -hmm. cannabis product. Oh, okay. So if you're sitting in the right medical range, it won't cognitively affect them in the way that we may think cannabis normally does. Mm -hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. no, it's like a, th a threshold, right? That if yeah. they have too much, then they'll feel the, the psycho uh, or the visual effects or whatever. Um, whereas just if it's a certain amount, they'll get the pain control. Yeah. Yeah. yeah my last placement was a promotion physiotherapy. We had a couple of patients who started using the cannabis oils and um, they've split into a couple of camps. One is where it really helps them and they tend to use it a good amount. And then the other ones who are just not seeing the effects. It's kind of like neutral for them. There's no ill effects and there's nothing super beneficial for them. So I guess it's a matter of a dose and uh, also how they're using it, right? If they're consuming it the correct way as well. And um, we got to <laughs> see what the college says about all of this, right? Because <laughs> we kind of have uh, these ethical issues with uh, drinking, right? But that's a little bit more black and white in terms of if the person's actually drunk. Do we treat them or if they're in a good state, right? We had an ethics presentation about this recently, <laughs> but um, in general, with marijuana, it's a little bit diff difficult to say sometimes if the person seems impaired or if they're in a good state, right? And that was great insight that you've mentioned as well. Yeah, and I just think that's interesting because it's being thought of as like just a prescription, which maybe I, I personally agree that it should be. Um, and the other thing about cannabis is it's like a fruit, it's a fruit salad is what somebody called it because there's just so many different strains and usually we know of, most people know of the two strains that most people would use, but now because it's becoming legalized, there's going to be a lot more research about it. It hasn't been heavily researched and a lot of the strains haven't been uh, tested or uh, looked at really because it wasn't legal, there wasn't a lot of uh, funding for research to happen. So I think for those people who aren't responding, maybe it has to do with the, or from what I understand, it has to do with both the strain and the, the, um, the amount. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's amazing. Uh, in terms of like all these changes happening in the, the world of technology, the world of uh, medical treatments as well, physiotherapies and raft and all of that. <laughs> but I just wanted to shift the topic a little bit over to you as an entrepreneur. Um, Sarush and I and uh, the boys at PTBC, Justin and Namtej, we're always concerned about the habits, <laughs> making sure that we have the correct habits to be the most efficient, execute the fastest way. Um, what are some of the habits that you've really held dear to your heart over this journey? Well, I'll tell you the habits that I broke first. <laughs> the things not to do. Those are definitely helpful. <laughs> There's, 
actually an event now for entrepreneurs in Toronto called, can I swear? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Called Fuck Up Nights. Mm -hmm. And it's all about <laughs> the mistakes, the biggest mistakes that you've made. Yeah. Um, and yeah, it's, it's pretty interesting because a lot of times we don't want to talk about the mistakes because it, we think it looks poorly on us. But mm -hmm. the habits that I broke early on talking about mistakes <laughs> was I used, I'm generally an early bird. Um, mm -hmm. And I used to swim at 5.30 in the morning. Nice. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I'm still trying to find where my glasses are. But with entrepreneurship, even though I'm a physiotherapist, and I was like, balance is really important. Very quickly, you work longer hours, uh, you know, just one more email, one more... I'm going to edit one more podcast, <laughs> and then before you know it, it's midnight. Yeah, we definitely know those feelings. <laughs> <laughs> and you can do that for a certain amount of time, but yeah. I definitely felt it within a year and a half. And I started showing up to swim practices without even realizing it at 6.30 instead of 5.30. Like, I would show up and everybody would be getting out of the pool, and then be like, what? What's going on? Like, I'm confused. I just could not get up on time and I guess wasn't even looking at the clock. So pretty quickly I stopped swim practices and started staying up later and later and later, getting up later, and it just throws your schedule off. Um, so what I've done recently in the last year, as things have gotten busier, because you can't continue on that path of working like 12 to 16 hours a day forever, eventually burn out, um, is just having a schedule and sticking with it it sounds simple but it's really hard to do and it's really hard to stop editing that podcast and have dinner or whatever it might be um but really trying to stick to a schedule and also not being too hard on myself because i have days where you know it's like midnight and i'm like oh i haven't had dinner i was supposed to go to the gym i didn't do all these things and those days happen but also having a schedule that I'm regularly uh, sticking to has been really important. I haven't quite been able to switch back to being an early bird yet <laughs> um, and still stay up too late working, but um, it's getting better and also having like accountability partners. So I used to go just like to the regular gym and work out, but being an entrepreneur where you're doing your thing, own thing all the time and I don't see a lot of patients anymore, so I don't have a lot of human contact every day. Mm -hmm. Instead of just going to the gym, I rock climb and I have to go and meet somebody to go and rock climb. So nice. you know, if I don't show up, they can't climb. That's not very nice. <laughs> and then it's also good social interaction, which is good. Um, so trying to pick those, those kinds of activities and things that I really enjoy. So when you don't have a lot of time, you really have to pick and choose what you're going to do. Mm -hmm. um, we usually tend to ask a follow-up question of what kind of habits you take over to your business. But this time I wanted to ask you, you have a partner, Ellie, and uh, what kind of habits or practices you've tried to set up with him to make sure that the business runs smoothly? This has been a process of refining over time. Uh, we... And it, it will continue to be refined over time, I'm sure. Um, but we use a project management tool called Trello. Uh, it's free for all the interested physios. <laughs> it's great, actually. You can There's a paid version, but the free version is great. Um, and it's really just meant for managing projects. So 
keeping everything in our head and trying to remember everything isn't particularly helpful. I still write things down on paper all the time, but having one central place where everybody on our team can see it is uh, helpful for seeing how far along we are in projects. Instead of sending emails back and forth, you can just go into Trello, see where that person is in that project. And if you have a question, you can post the question there for them. And then it just creates a thread of, of notes and comments. You can create checklists. You can uh, show your progress, like I'm 50% through this. And then you can tag other members like um, for example, we have a marketing board and our two people who help us with marketing are on there and we tag each other back and forth and can collaborate. So also helpful for getting rid of emails and uh, keeping everybody on the same page. That's probably mm -hmm. the biggest thing that Ellie and I, Ellie and I do, uh, particularly because now we have more days where we don't work in the same physical location. Sounds like a Slack, a sauna and something else mixed into Trello. <laughs> it's competitor yeah. is Asana. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking about Asana when you were saying that. Um, so we also like to ask our guests regarding a book that they found influential in their career and in their uh, practice so far. What's one book that you would recommend to us and what would be the reason for that? <laughs> Um, I would suggest Purple Cow by an entrepreneur called Seth Godin. I have listened to it a few times. I haven't physically read it. I usually just listen to books now, audiobooks. <laughs> he has a very soothing voice. <laughs> it's also nice. Yeah. Um, Purple Cow is really about standing out and not being the same as everybody else because we're in a time and place in history when you're fighting for people's attention. Right? Even with your podcast, there's lots of different physio podcasts now versus three years ago. There weren't that many. I don't think there were any physio podcasts in Canada, at least, that were Canadian produced. So this is exciting. But then it's how do you stand out? How do you be the purple cow, not the brown cow among many? Or the blue cow. Right. <laughs> yeah, you can pretty much pick any color other than brown, black, or white. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so in terms of um, standing out, we just wanted to kind of sum everything up. Um, how do you think um, what you've done uh, with Embody and with HealthTO and the profession of physiotherapy help you stand out among the many physiotherapists and all the entrepreneurs that are taking on um, this kind of journey to continue to stand out? That's a good question. Um, I think just a little bit on HealthTO. HealthTO was initially a marketing event for my company, and it's definitely not that at all today. Um, I've continued to host it because I think it's so important that the technology and uh, companies that are essentially building something for healthcare get in the same room with those in healthcare who are going to use it. Um, goes back to that, if you build something and nobody uses it, it's not very useful, but also just having a broader conversation of mixing professions together and not always staying in our same bubble. Um, it's the only event like that currently, although who knows, more may come <laughs> along. Um, 
I think that's been particularly helpful for me personally, just in getting to know the uh, technology industry and being what somebody called me yesterday, a connector. They said, because you have met so many different people, you can make connections for other people and you can introduce them. There was actually two physios who showed up at the event yesterday who work at Synergy in Toronto um, because they were starting to think about their own uh, product, which was really exciting that they came to this. And I was able to introduce them to somebody who may be able to help them or um, share some lessons learned so they don't make the same mistakes. I think with Embodia, um, it's going to help me stand out as technology becomes a more integral part of our practice. At first, I really felt like it made me stand out like a sore thumb because people did generally our profession didn't really want change. But now I have a few years of experience, still young in the industry, I think, but um, a few years of experience and can share those those lessons again with others. It's amazing. Okay. Uh, so thank you so much for coming. It was a, a lot of pleasure. We shared a lot of laughs. Mm -hmm. um, just so for our listeners, uh, we're wondering if you can tell us where you are on social media uh, so they can find you and the things that you do. Sure. Uh, I am on Twitter and Instagram at MaggieBPT. Mm -hmm. uh, Embodia is also on Instagram at Embodia. And I'm on Facebook, which is just my name, Maggie Bergeron, <laughs> if anybody okay. still uses it. Although I think Facebook's making a comeback. Yeah, there's, so, good. there's a lot more conversations happening on Facebook. Instagram is pretty hot right now. That's that's the, seems to be the hot. yeah. <laughs> but there's a lot of Facebook groups, and actually, sorry, I'm going to go back to one of the questions you asked me yeah. because one of the things that really did help us with Brandy and figuring out our message was joining Facebook groups. And mm -hmm. there's a lot of physio Facebook groups, and you can go in there and see what people are talking about, the words they're using, the mm -hmm. questions they have. Right. Um, so that's particularly helpful, um, maybe even for getting the word out about your podcast. You can mm -hmm. do that as well. Um, but I think, um, yeah, I'm still on Facebook, still use it regularly, <laughs> post in groups, you try to share. share <laughs> <laughs> and so is Embodia. Yeah. Okay. Awesome. Uh, just one final question for the people listening who um, want to go down this technology avenue, who or potentially want to start something uh, in terms of their own business. What are your top three, top five tips that you would recommend to these individuals for starting out for someone who's a new graduate um, or for someone who wants to switch gears who is already in the field? My first step is to start small but think big. And start small really just means start. It's the hardest part is starting. Um, but have a big picture in mind. Um, the second is maybe more practical. I'd suggest using the Lean Canvas, which mm -hmm. I, we yes. did in your class. Very helpful. Do not write a 100-page business plan like I did at the beginning of my business. As soon as I finished that business plan, somebody was like, oh, I didn't just use this one-page lean canvas. Like, the amount of swear words that came out of my mouth. Oh, my gosh. Business plans are still really useful if you're going to get a loan or a grant or if you're ever going for um, 
investors, you mm -hmm. need a business plan. Right. However, the Lean Canvas is a much easier tool to use and you can go back and refine it at any time. And it's really meant to be a live document. So it's ongoing um, and it's always changing as your business changes. Um, and the third is to connect with others. So uh, what I hear from a lot of people who are just thinking about starting something or just starting is that they're worried that if they tell anybody about it, someone else is going to steal their idea. Chances that somebody is going to steal your idea is pretty small. Most people are probably not even thinking like they're not in that same mindset as you and like really passionate about this idea. Um, and even if they do, in the small chance that somebody stole your idea, uh, which they can do at any point, right? Even when you've started and you're growing, they can still steal your idea. They're going to do it quite differently because the way that you build something or create something is going to be very different from somebody else. Um, so I think connecting with others, talking about it and finding um, someone that you, you trust and could be quarter, kind of like a, a mentor would be um, very helpful. For us at the beginning, we used a service called Futurepreneur um, and they give you a small business loan and a mentor. They connect you with somebody in the, for us in the Toronto industry, who's kind of related <laughs> to what we do. In our case, it was just a female entrepreneur in technology. Mm -hmm. She has a marketing and promotions company, so it's not even healthcare, mm -hmm. but has a lot of, um, she's really just a sounding board. I still meet with her now for coffee and she's just a sounding board for ideas and um, questioning me and making <laughs> introductions if I need to, if I need them. That's awesome. Well, thanks so much, Maggie, for all the uh, insight you provided today. It's an interesting route because this is a different conversation um, that we've had um, on our podcast. And it's an interesting one because technology is obviously going to be a part of our lives for a long time from now. So thanks for all the, uh, the wisdom and the insight. <laughs> and um, for the viewers, if you have any questions for us or Maggie, you can definitely reach Maggie at, on her, which one would be the best outlet? You said uh, you use Instagram and Twitter Instagram. mostly? Instagram? Yeah. Okay, so Instagram, reach out to Maggie. and um, Or if you have any questions for us, you can reach us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com or visit our website. All Thank right. You. Thank, Thank you so you. much. Thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the PTBC podcast. Hope you enjoyed the episode today. Please check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and at our website, ptbusinesscorner.com. Feel free to send us a message on social media or email us at info at ptbusinesscorner.com. See you next time. time.